Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss, and I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a fun show, so let's get right at it. Later on, we'll meet Thomas Wharton, best-selling Edmonton author and professor. His latest book is called The Book of Rain, and it's a suspenseful sci-fi novel about nature, environmental stewardship, and the fate of the planet. We'll speak with him about that and why he wrote an entire chapter of the book in bird language just a little bit later on. First up, let's meet producer, writer-comedian Dan Galea. The two-time Canadian Comedy Award winner's debut musical comedy album, Interdimensional, on Comedy Records, executive produced by Scott Thompson from The Kids in the Hall, who also appears on the album, by the way, is available next week at dangalea.ca. He spent 20 years working on the album, which he describes as a comedic diary of his life. It has everything from disco to metal and everything in between and every song gives you a peek into who he is and what he's all about some songs are just silly he says but then again so am i it's a great quote scott thompson joins us late to talk about his involvement with the record and why he loves comedian flip wilson here's dan and scott congratulations on the record thank you it's the new thing but it's kind of an old thing so i don't know there <laughs> seemed to be a period there when nobody made comedy records but when i was a kid everybody had one and we used to buy the richard Pryor albums and the george carlin albums and that kind of thing what do you think's brought them back i just think there's like a real boom going on right now comedy always does well when things are doing really bad in the world you know <laughs> and it just seems like the worse things get the better the comedy can get um but right now i just feel like there's there's a there's a super divide for sure in the you know there's like a super right-wing kind of faction of comedy and a super left-wing faction and uh and i also think that like each side is kind of doing their own thing to their own audience and having success with it to an extent you know which is the side that is saying you can't be funny anymore you can't say anything anymore honestly i i think that like both sides have extreme qualities to them right. uh i i do think that like you know, the left is very quick to often say the right is stupid and the, the right is very quick to often say that we're taking away all the rights. It's one of those things where I think change is hard, but I think that a lot of these albums are kind of addressing a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of these albums also, we were talking about, me and Scott, uh, we're just talking about how like a lot of these albums are put out what, what a lot of people might consider prematurely, um, like quicker than they normally would have been right. because of the access to the internet and all that stuff. So we're seeing a lot of uh, newer uh, points of view and takes and stuff. And we also get to see people grow uh, mm -hmm. throughout their albums a little more than we used to, rather than seeing <laughs> the polished thing. You say that this one you've been thinking about or, or working on for 20 years. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, so I've been writing songs as like my diary, basically, um, for for my whole life. I mean, I, I, I never saw the real point of writing everything down in a book, like I'll be writing all my fears and problems down in a book, you know, it's right. like, for someone to find one day and torture me. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, but I, I, I've been writing songs. And for the most part, they were for me. I mean, they've been on my computer in a safe you know like a forever and uh yeah it's just been uh one of those things where it's kind of so personal a lot of the songs and you know there's a lot of serious stuff on the computer too so i kind of 
cherry picked the funny stuff and tried to make it a bit funnier and uh scott's here now hi there dan and i were just talking so i'll I'll bring you in um oh good Yeah, I'll bring you. Was he trashing me? Was Dan trashing me? No, we didn't. Not we, good we didn't get that far into the interview. Okay. I'm sure it's coming, but we're okay. not. We're... So you were talking less than a minute. Yeah, that's... At the minute mark is usually when he trashes people. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how did you start working together? All I do in this, in this project is I just uh, gave Dan some money to help him do it. Hmm. He did it all. Um, we've worked together for years. We've been friends for a long time and we started doing stuff together. I was always a funny guy. And and at this for the album, I just thought, you've been doing this for a long time. You should do an album. And I also thought that, see, a lot of people today, they do albums. They aren't really quite ready for their album. And he was ready, more than ready. <laughs> and because uh, it, was, it wasn't just a stand-up album. It's like, it's actually, it's musically very sound. It's a good album. It's good music. It's funny. And it's... um. It's 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 just great. It's just and it's it's lived in. It's seasoned. When you start uh, thinking about a project like this, um, Scott, did you think back to uh, comedy albums uh, that you may have purchased when you were young? I used to live and breathe the Monty Python albums. The mm-hmm. Uh, you know, George Carlin albums. There was a, a, a certain generation that comedy albums were really important, and they really were. Yeah, and so what were some of them for you? Well, I, I'm going to show you right now. Look at this one. I'm going to get right now. This is Scott from Amazon. Flip Wilson, you devil. No way. <laughs> that's, that's my man. That's yeah. my guy. You devil, you. The Flip Wilson yeah. show. Flip Wilson show. Uh, Geraldine. He's Geraldine. The- he's a, I realized during the pandemic for the Flip, I had kind of forgotten about him because he's been kind of forgotten. Yeah. And during the pandemic, I fell into a Flip Wilson hole. And, and the deeper I went, I went, oh, my God, I... He inspired me through so much. I went, well, Buddy Cole is Geraldine. <laughs> I didn't quite realize how much I'd stolen from Flip Wilson. Sundays this February, flip out with Flip Wilson. We call a cook. Have a laugh with your favorite funny man and his wild characters. This is a great pleasure for y'all, that is. Because it ain't no big thing with me. That television show was huge when I was a kid, or it seemed to number be. Number one, number one, yeah. from 1970 to 1975. Prime yeah. Time. And the devil made me do it. All the like, there were catchphrases that lived at the very center of popular culture. Yeah. But you're right. I don't know that people really remember. No, a black man yeah. in drag, at, in uh, in the number one show. And then we have we live in this world today where they go, my God, it must have been a nightmare for people back then. Going, <laughs> no, kind of a nightmare now. <laughs> but no, that was it. I, I wasn't. I, I didn't listen to a lot of comedy albums, but definitely um, that was one of them. And I liked. Um, I like that there were no I didn't it was all up to Dan it was whatever Dan wanted to do yeah like Dan, I don't I, I don't do any I don't I didn't involve myself at all in anything that that just think I just thought Dan give him some money let him do whatever he wants I think when you trust someone let them do it and Dan what were some of the comedy albums that appealed to you because I used to buy I was just thinking of the Steve Martin albums I could recite those word for word with the uh album uh was that yeah. something that you did yeah, I uh, like my musical comedy albums were like Adam Sandler, like we're all gonna laugh at you, and uh, you know the first two albums I like, those were just a huge part of my life. Like, I mean, me and my friends, we would recite those things constantly, sing like all the songs, and uh, and also like the Tenacious D album when it came out. Oh yeah, the first one was a really big one for me. 
but just like regular stand-up, like Stephen Wright was someone that mm-hmm. I like really, I would just like, you know, I, I just eat those albums up. My uncle was a clown for Ringling Brothers Circus. And when he died, all his friends went to the funeral in one car. I, I love anything like that. So yeah, Norm MacDonald too, just like, those are my favorites for sure. I love the little interstitials uh, from you as the executive producer oh, of yes, the album. Of uh, saying, <laughs> you know, a, that's the real me. <laughs> at f- phoning at four o'clock in the morning and saying, your fan is not going to like yeah. this. You <laughs> must take this song off the album. Hello? Hello, Dan. Aren't you worried that your fan is going to think you're lying to them? Oh, yeah. I have, I have a fan? Well, you might one day. Dan, I might even be a fan one day. I mean, if the album turns out the way that I want. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, what's the problem? I'm just saying, Dan, that, you know, you have to admit you are absolutely a stoner. You have a lot of nerve. Well, Dan, I'm sorry you are. Oh, no, no. I know, I know. I Sorry. I just totally zoned out and started thinking about how much nerve you have. <laughs> Yeah, we were trying to do that uh, that Eminem thing where he had his uh, lawyer constantly calling him and being yeah. like, uh, "Yeah, you can't put this on the album, man." Were they uh, improv?ed No, they were they were written, but they also had an element of improv. Yeah, yeah. I, I've worked with Scott a lot, so I knew that like you know we can write whatever we I'm want, but they are like. going to change once we start doing them, and I prefer that. Like that's yeah. You know, if you don't know someone and expect something, then what are you doing, right? So it's like bringing Scott in. I gave him the skeleton, and then we just kind of ran with it. Yeah, yeah. the idea of uh, you not going after your family hard enough uh, made me laugh. Oh, yeah. Very much. Yeah, that, I like that a lot. That was all. Yeah, really yeah that was too. all improvised. Because it's that true. Was. Dan's Dan's such a nice guy, and I know how much he hates his family. Oh, I thought, come on, you, they need to know. I love they need them. to know. <laughs> but the, but no, he loves his family a little too much. So I thought we gotta we gotta you know you know mix this up a little bit. Hello? Dan, it's Scott. Oh, I just heard Family Reunion. Great. Not great, Dan. What? You can't put this on the album. Why? Your family is going to be pissed. Mm, why? Because, Dan, you didn't go after them hard enough. I think they'll like that. No, they won't like that. All they'll be saying is, what is he not saying? Why would they say that? Because they're your family, Dan. They're going to be saying, well, why didn't he talk about this? And why didn't he talk about Aunt Marie? And why didn't he talk about Uncle Clark? Because we all know what they did. And they're going to be saying, well, what's he doing? Is he saving that all for his second album? I think I needed I, I needed to cause a bit of a rift in his family. I think it would have been good. He's been trying comedy. to do that for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to break people's families up because I think that there's a lot of comedy in that. It, it is. Heartbreak is good for comedy, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It is the number one ingredient. Well, I think that stuff works uh, really well. It, it's sort of uh, like a concept album, but it is also really mm-hmm. funny. But as you say, the songs yeah. are really solid. Every time I look at you, every time I look at you, you're trying to get me to go somewhere with you. Let's go to the mall. Let's go to the club. I got an idea. Let's stay right here. I don't, I don't want to. Go out with you. I don't want to go out. 
Will you be performing these live? Yeah, there are loose plans. I haven't actually locked anything down yet. But the idea would be it would be ideal to tour the album around. Yeah. Scott, when you first heard the songs, what was your initial reaction? Oh, I've been hearing the songs on and off for years. I knew a bunch of the stuff. Oh, I love them. I always thought, why aren't you getting these out there? People should be hearing these. Yeah. I just thought they were really catchy. I couldn't believe how funny they were and how the hooks, they had great hooks. And yeah. I love pop music. So I, that was, I just thought this is good pop music as well. I think you have to be very careful with uh, music and comedy uh, yes. because I think we probably all suffered through musical comedy acts that have not been great. And so that, that, that has to hang over your your head a little bit when you're doing an album like this. Yeah. And it I, is, there's yeah. like cheesy line that you walk, I think like, it's like, that's the thing in the forefront of my mind when I'm making a comedy song is I listen to it and then I go like, is this cheesy? You know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> even if it's a little bit cheesy, I get really like self-conscious about it and need to like tweak it and tweak it and tweak it until it feels like somewhat, uh, like if it's in a genre, then I want it to sound like that genre, you know? Hi. My name's Dan Gallia. I just wanted to thank you for listening to my debut comedy album, Interdimensional. What you're about to experience is multiple Dan's from multiple dimensions making one interdimensional album. put a modern twist on this one setting it in uh, a multiverse it's kind of like a marvel comedy <laughs> album uh, or yeah. everything everywhere all at once you know yeah, there's exactly. a multiverse uh except many this, bands making this one album actually except this is actually funny <laughs> <laughs> hey, i loved that movie i loved it but you loved everything everywhere all at once. I did, I did, yeah. Oh, I, I was always, I was already a fan it. of the director, the Daniels. I was watching all the shorts and stuff, mm -hmm. so I was like ready for this movie. You know? Did it make you laugh? Yeah, there's oh, some really good. You parts. said no. That was a yeah. Well, because I don't know that it was like that. I mean, we could get into this, but I mean, like yeah. that movie was like an experience and like kind of like a. There was funny parts in it, but it wasn't, I don't think it was meant to be like a fall off your chair laugher. You know, it was like kind of like a Little Miss Sunshine feeling kind of movie, you know? Also not funny. <laughs> it's so heartwarming. No. No, my, no, no, I think Dan's album is actually the Oscar movie. It's the movie of the year. It's, it deserves the Oscar. It is the multiverse um, thing of the year. Well, it's not eligible until next year. So I guess we'll be hearing about it. Well, it probably won't even be eligible next year because Canada will find a way not to. If the Kiss the Hall can't be, can't be eligible for a screen award, this won't be. I will make sure this is not eligible. Yeah, it's got to roadblock at this point. Um, oh, absolutely. I, no way. No, no. No. It's just, we'll find a way to block it. He's trying to sabotage the album. It's an odd idea that you know you pay for the album, you get it out there, and then you want to sabotage it any way you can. <laughs> It's an Andy Kaufman kind of thing. It's Andy Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a performance art piece for you. It is a performance art piece. Yes, I'm full into performance art. <laughs> but I got to say, like, in this industry, like, you look for support, and you don't get a lot of it a lot of the time. And, like, having someone like Scott, who obviously I looked up to growing up, I was in Sketch, Kids in the Hall are, like, godfathers of Sketch. And it's, like, having someone like Scott believe in me and just give me money like that and just say, do what you want. And... I know Scott very well and he likes to be creative and you know, he has opinions yeah. and he really did let me do whatever I want on this. Yeah. And he did give his opinions 
and we did change a few things because a few he was things. right. There he few was things. right. Uh, yeah. But it's like, but those things were nothing. It was like he really just gave me uh, a chance to make something that I've always wanted to do, and yeah. uh, and you can't really uh, you can't buy that kind of stuff, you know. Like that's no, just, no. And I'm very I'm very grateful to our career. Like when I was a kid in the hall, when we first started out, Lauren Lauren's genius was not you know monkeying around too much. Right. He was like, I I trust them. I'm going to give them the key. I'm not going to tell them which doors to open. And so it caused a lot of chaos, but I think that's the only way. We opened up. Well, okay. I'm going to admit it. We opened the full, the first multiverse door. And, um, <laughs> a lot of monsters came through. Yeah. And we're all back. still living in that simulation that you created. That's all right. There's another alternate world where the kids in the hall were actually superstars. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I didn't make it. Uh, they, they, re, they replaced me. I got very problematic. <laughs> Power went right to your head. Yeah. Yeah. In every multiverse, somehow I'm a, tr I'm, I'm trouble. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but just addressing that multiverse aspect of the album, just so you know, it was the I wanted originally, and like my ideas are always too big. So I, I originally wanted to make an album in every genre of music as a different character. So like have a rock album right. as like this guy named Nicholas Sweet and like a, a R&B album as Clear Keith and all these different, I have all these characters, right? Oh, and so and so basically like I'd, instead of doing that, I thought let's just take one song from each album and make it a multiverse where every song is sung by a Dan from a different dimension. Who could have come out with one of those albums? That's but, a really funny idea. That's that's the it, when this one goes multi quadruple platinum. <laughs> that's when you pitch that idea. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, as I said, that, I'll make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott, you've been performing music recently as well. Yes, I have. I have my own album coming out. Yeah. Do you? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Me and Paul Bellini, our band Mouth Congress. We just finished recording last night. We finished, uh, we've been working on it about 14 months and and it's done. It's now ready to be mixed. And it's 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 like Dan's and well, it's not like it's Dan's, really but good. it's not really it's not a comedy album. It's it's full of jokes. It's it's funny, right. but there's it's you know, my thing is come for the come for the comedy, stay for the music, but it's musically sound. And um we have a real band, so wow. Who knows the people what people are going to think but it's been an incredible joy to do it just to create i like to create right. i don't believe there's any kind of medium i couldn't do if i had to am i right in saying that some of the songs that you recorded are, are old that you wrote many years ago that you've always no these are all new songs. they're all new yeah 16 new songs wow yeah our first album, uh, "Waiting for Henry," was a double album with of our old song. Yeah. These are this is new. These we wrote these songs the last year and a half. Yeah, it's been well. I've had a, I've had the time. I've had a lot of time. <laughs> well, I'll be excited to hear it. I'm I'm looking forward to it.
And yeah, I mean, the best thing would be if we did a tour where Dan and, you know, Dan's band and us tour. It'd be great. Yeah. yeah it'd that's be the fun. Dream. I mean, because, you know, the thing about, you know, performing, like, I mean, if, if the if Mouth Congress had taken off, I could have gone that route if they would have allowed someone like me to be a pop star then. But, you know, <laughs> now it's just like, oh, I don't have the knees for it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, by knees I mean giving it to executives for you know. <laughs> no, that's how it works, Dan. Oh, I thought you meant all the squats you did during your show yeah. <laughs> and, and the praying yeah. to the Canada Council. So yeah. no, it, it, so yeah, it's 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 uh, been a real joy. It's nice to create and just have no one saying no. Yeah, you know, I didn't want to say no to Dan. I'm like, no, it's creation. It's not for me to, you know, you do what you do. You well, know, congratulations on it, and uh, and thanks for taking some time to talk about it with me. Well, well thank you. It's been nice. it's nice yeah. to see you. My guest in this segment is best-selling Edmonton author and professor Thomas Wharton. He's written several books, including his award-winning debut novel, Ice Fields, and another book called Salamander, which was shortlisted for a Governor General's Literary Award for Fiction. His latest book is The Book of Rain, a suspenseful sci-fi novel about nature, environmental stewardship, and the fate of the planet. Thomas Wharton joined me via Zoom. Tell me a little bit about uh, the thing that prompted the writing of the book, uh, because I feel the pandemic probably had something to do with it, just given the way the book starts. But I want to hear it from you, and then I'll tell you what I think. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, it, it, it didn't start with the pandemic. The book didn't start with the pandemic, but that definitely had an influence on it for sure. But uh, actually, it kind of came about because... I, I, when I was reading novels, reading a lot of fiction, I, I started feeling that something was missing from these books and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I realized that these books are full of people. These novels are full of people, but there's no animals. <laughs> and for some reason, I, you know, that just start. I started noticing that. And, uh, you know, the novel traditionally is, is about human beings and human society and, and all of the, the uh, problems and conflicts humans have and animals are either non-existent or they're just background, right? They're backdrop. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see if I could write a novel where the animals are important characters. They're as important as the people and, and people in the story are, they, they, they have to pay attention to something beyond just their human concerns. Yeah. But the pandemic did come into it too later. Well Here's what I thought. <laughs> okay. yeah. Because it starts with a tech blackout uh, on what is just a, a regular day, um, mm -hmm. and then uh, things escalate fairly quickly after that. And at first, people aren't really all that concerned about the blackout, but then later they, they it becomes a, a, a real concern for them. And I kind of felt that way. Perhaps it's because we're we're speaking uh, almost three years to the day that the pandemic really kicked in uh, mm -hmm. as we have this conversation, where at first we thought, oh, it'll be over in, in you know, a week or maybe two weeks. And then we realized the, the severity of it and that it was going to last much longer than that. And I just felt that maybe that was something that bled into your thinking when you were creating this this book. Well, I can't say that, you know, that it's prophetic, but I, I definitely wrote all of that before the pandemic <laughs> happened. So, uh, you know, I guess those ideas were in my head. Um, and 
the pandemic just kind of sharpened them, I guess. Mm. And it, it, it also led me to be more aware myself about, well, for example, birds. Yeah. Uh, I had a lot more time on my hands and it was a lot quieter. And I just started noticing birds song a lot more and started paying more attention to birds. And so birds became much, you know, more and more important in the story as, 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 as it grew, as the story grew. Well, there's a whole chapter in Bird Speak, uh, which is a really uh, sort of interesting choice. Tell me about that. It's a risky choice, I think. Yeah, I wasn't sure about it myself. It's it's funny how children's books are full of talking animals, and nobody thinks <laughs> right. You know, it's it's just it's it's fine. It's perfectly fine. But as an adult writer, to sit down and and start writing an adult book, the thought of putting you know words and speech into animals' mm. mouths. Can, can seem a little bit silly or people you know people might criticize it but um uh it just kind of it, it grew out of the the idea i had that you know animals are always having to adapt to what we do to their environment right mm. this is a human dominated world and and unfortunately the truth is in a human dominated world animals die a lot um and they they have to find ways to adapt um and so i just imagined well what if one of the ways animals adapt in the future is by creating a common language that they can use to to help survive us, right? To survive human beings, mm -hmm. to to band together and work together to to deal with us. Um, so that's where the bird speak all sort of it, it came from, and and you know from that then it developed into the idea that well, okay, if animals and especially birds have a kind of common language they speak in, they then they probably have their own myths. Their own poetry, you know, like their own epic of Gilgamesh or the Odyssey. <laughs> so I just thought, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let them talk, and, and they can, they can tell me an epic poem, and we'll see what happens. The book very definitely has uh, a fantasy elements. There's, there's a lot of things happening in this book, so we'll, we'll try and break it down a little bit. But it definitely has fantasy elements. Uh, but it's a very, a very real message for the world. Why do you yeah. think it is that speculative fiction is such an effective form uh, to use in discussing modern day issues? Yeah, well, it, it is true that it, it often is the the route that people go: speculative fiction, fantasy, or science fiction. And I think uh, years ago, Ursula Le Guin said that that fantasy was the language that was needed to describe this complex confusing modern world that we live in but that that's the only language that can really um handle it right you know handle it, the sort of world we live in with that we uh that can be seem so chaotic to us and and so difficult to grasp in its entirety and you know just by sort of shifting the lens or or putting a different kind of filter in fantasy and science fiction can kind of tell a truth that's maybe harder to to tell in, in realist terms. And you wanted people when they read this book to uh, leave the book, uh, seeing the world a little differently. In what sense do you mean that? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love books that after when I put the book down and when I'm finished reading it, I go out and, and the book sort of stays with, with me in the way that I see things and mm -hmm. is my, changes my outlook, maybe in some very small way, but in some small way, I've gained a, a little bit more of an understanding of something or or just see the world a little bit differently. And I I definitely wanted that to happen with this book. Just even if, you know, even if a reader was to 
to put the book down and go outside and just for a moment notice birds, right? Mm-hmm. Notice birds singing. Uh, for you know, as opposed to just ignoring that because it's a sound that we hear all the time and we don't think twice about it. But but you know, uh, these these other creatures are going about their daily lives, which to them are just as important as our lives are to us. And I would love it if a reader, yeah, just even even had an extra moment where they paused to think about the miracle miracle of a bird singing outside their door. You know. Well, I, I do think the pandemic gave us uh, an opportunity for that because as uh, cities locked down, uh, I spoke with friends who lived in Los Angeles and here where I live in Toronto, uh, all of a sudden there was more wildlife on the street. There were You were seeing animals yeah. that you don't normally see because uh, they were emerging, I guess, because it, the, there weren't uh, cars on the streets so much there weren't people on the sidewalks it, it it felt different and you saw different things uh, mm-hmm. uh in the downtown yeah and you know I, I mean it's it's wonderful that that happens right there's they're still out there right they they're not all gone the animals are still out there and every once in a while we get reminded of that and uh, i just think that's that's wonderful there's kind of a tangential nature uh, to this book. Tell me a little bit about how you decided uh, on the 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 structure of it, and then was it all written? You know, start on page one, work your way through, or how did how how did you um, uh, keep all of this um, structurally sound while you were writing? Well, it's you know this this book didn't start as one book. It actually started as three books. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew that I wanted to write something about animals, and, and so I had an idea about my themes and the things I was interested in. And I I started a novel, and I got and it got stuck partway through, and then so I tried it with a totally different sort of story, and I got stuck at a certain point, and and then with another one, uh, and so I was kind of reaching the point of desperation where I was beginning to wonder if I you know can I still write a book you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm done, uh, and out of a kind of it was an act of desperation. I just decided what would happen if I dropped all of these three unfinished things into the same file. And then I told myself, okay, these all have to be part of the same story. How are you going to do that? Mm. And something about my, the way my creative brain works, it, the creative part of my brain works is that it, it, uh, it needs that kind of puzzle or, you know, some, some sort of challenge like that, right. like how put together like a jigsaw puzzle. So yeah, it was there was there was no linearity whatsoever in the writing of <laughs> it was back and forth through time and place and uh, bits and pieces here and there, yeah. And did you find that that process, which feels or sounds to me like it was different than the other books that you've written, um, did you take something away from it that will become part of your process moving forward? Uh well, I you know I, I think. It's it's just a sort of more intensified version of the process that I used with the other books because mm. they were kind of stitched together too, in a lot of ways. So, um, I don't know. Every book is is different and new, yeah. and, and sort of do your best to do to 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 um, achieve the vision, whatever the vision that is that you have for it. Um, but I I do know one thing, and that is I'm not finished writing about animals. I, I I have lots more that I want to say, and so I'm, I'm exploring a couple of different um, story ideas right now. And who knows? Maybe I'll end up dumping those two together into the same <laughs> and creating them. I don't know. 
interesting to say that uh, or to hear that you say, I, uh, maybe I can't write anymore. Maybe I've forgotten how to do this. And you're such an accomplished writer and have been so successful. And I hear that from people uh, frequently. Guillermo del Toro told me one time, every time he finishes a movie, he's convinced it's the last time he'll ever make anything. Uh, it always just feels like there's a finality to it for him. Uh, and it, it's funny how the creative mind, I think, plays tricks on you. And, and maybe it's a way of pushing you forward and and making you work harder or differently or or uh, more creatively on the next one yeah i think every creative person goes through those kinds of you know um lost in the desert sort of moments mm -hmm. um and it's part it really does seem to be part of the process but whenever it happens to a person you kind of forget that you went through this before right, right. oh that 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 you have these moments and there's really nothing you can do about it and it's it's actually part of the process so you know i yeah i i I, I say I was desperate and I was really starting to doubt I could ever finish a novel, but <laughs> there must be some part of me that realized, you know, just trust the process. You'll find the way eventually, uh, you know, even though this other negative voice is like, you're done, you're finished. Yeah. <laughs> you were never good enough, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, are there books uh, that inspire you? Because in this book, there are, uh, elements of science fiction. There is uh, elements of there are elements of fables. There's all sorts of of, of uh, elements that I feel come together to form the whole. Uh, are there books that you look to uh, as inspiration? Oh well, you know, I, I I started out as a reader reading fantasy and science fiction. I you know, The Lord of the Rings um, and Dune are a couple of the classics, and all that stuff kind of went deep into my psyche i think because when i started to to write as an adult i i thought i was going to be a realist writer but every time i i really got into a, a piece of writing a story or or a novel it always ended up taking a fantastical turn and right. and uh doug barber uh one of my uh, uh, a friend of mine who passed away uh, not too long ago a fellow writer he he said of my book Salamander, "Oh, this is a fantasy novel." And I, my first reaction was, "No, no, no, no." It, and then I realized, "Yeah, it is." You know that this is what I write, and uh, it's all of those influences coming back and 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 having their way with me. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean, Dune uh, is such a, a seminal book for so many people. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the movies, I think, finally have figured out how to get that story on screen. It took a little while for that to happen. Uh, but it's such a it's a book that so many people look to um, as an inspiration, as a reason they started writing as, you know, it, or it, at the very least, uh, uh, the, the beginning of often a lifelong love of science fiction and speculative fiction that uh, I, I sometimes wonder just what is it about that book that grabs people? So what was it? for you that really grabbed you what is it about dune i think it's 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 a whole world you know it's it's an entire world and you can you can enter it as a reader and and it surrounds you and you just absolutely believe in it you know it it it, it has so much depth and so many layers yeah. it's the same thing with the lord of the rings right when when tolkien first wrote that book he wrote it because he loved world building he loved fantasy world building and as far as he knew, there wasn't really anyone who else who was interested in this. He just wrote it because that's what he wanted to do. Right. And then there's there's a whole, you know, legion of people who've been waiting for a book like that, absolutely waiting for this genre, which didn't exist yet, to exist. 
so that they could have this book that they that they uh, were waiting for. And it's it's funny how that works, but but yeah, I think it has a lot to do with just depth of world building. You're working on something now, which you say is one or two projects. Maybe they'll become one. What what is it? What can you tell us about what you're working on now? Uh, well, you mentioned you mentioned fables earlier, right? There's there's a certain kind of fable quality to to uh, at least the bird poem part of yeah. this. And I think I'm moving in more in that territory. It seems like this new book is going to be, you know, it's going to feature animals a lot. And it's going to be, I think, I hope anyways, a lot simpler, just mm. one story, hopefully yeah. not five or six. Yeah, yeah. But we'll, by the time I'm finished with it, I'm sure I'll complicate the hell out of it. Like I usually do. <laughs> You don't have to tell us where you live, but uh, you your bio says that you live uh, in the country surrounded by trees. So I, I perhaps that's where this great love of animals and exposure uh, mm -hmm. to these animals is is sort of pushing you in this new direction. Yeah, it, it was an important move. Uh, my wife and I, uh, after she had cancer, she she wanted to kind of get out of the city and, and have a more, uh, you know, quieter sort of life so we we looked for a little uh, acreage and we found we were lucky enough to find one not far from the city so we could we could still go to work easily right. enough but so moving there was uh, was really um important yeah for me as a writer too because as i say i, I just started noticing so many more birds and and we get visitors of all kinds coming through our little patch of land uh on christmas day we had a young moose come wow. right up eating off the rose plants and things like that uh, at the house. And, and it was just magical. That was Thomas Wharton on The Richard Krauss Show. His latest novel, The Book of Rain, is available wherever you buy fine books. It's a fascinating book written in a really interesting style. It'll make you think, but it'll also keep you entertained. A big thanks to Thomas for joining me all the way from Edmonton. Also, a big thanks to producer, writer, comedian Dan Galea, and from the Kids in the Hall, Scott Thompson, who joined me earlier to talk about Dan's new album, Interdimensional. You'll find it on Comedy Records. It's a really funny, interesting comedy album. But here's the thing. The songs are really good, too. So uh, it's all-round great entertainment. Check it out. It's called Interdimensional. Uh, you can find it at dangalea.ca or wherever you buy fine comedy albums. As always, though, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah.